hey, it's Ian Altman, people would come to me and say, can you build a community where we can interact with other people who are applying same-side selling to their business? And that's what we built with the Same-Side Selling Academy. Best of all, right now, it's totally free. So go to samesidesellingacademy.com, sign up there, and be a part of the community. And just, I encourage you to be an active member of that community. I look forward to seeing you there. Hey there, this is Ian Altman. This week's guest is Mark Bowden. Mark is a repeat guest. He's one of the foremost authorities on the planet in nonverbal communication and body language. And we're talking about their latest book, Truth and Lies. We're going to talk about the biggest misconception that people have when it comes to body language. We'll talk about how you can use body language effectively in both a personal setting and a business setting. And we'll talk about a specific approach or mindset that you can have for critical thinking so you can get have the best chance at reading and understanding somebody else's body language so you better know how to communicate to them. You're going to learn a ton. It's a lot of fun with Mark Bowden. Mark Bowden, welcome back to the show. Ian, it's look, it's great to be here. It's always fun having a chat with you. It's always lively. Uh, first thing in the morning for me, I don't know about you and I don't know about whoever's listening out there, but uh, I'm excited to have a chat with you. You know what? I'm always excited. I always learn a ton in talking to you. So tell our audience something surprising about you that they may not know. Okay, so here's what you might not know or you might not have even guessed is that I studied molecular gastronomy at Harvard. So molecular gastronomy, I'm sure you can work out, is is the science of food. You know, why transformations happen in food, why why an egg will be soft-boiled rather than hard-boiled, how you can uh, cook it with vinegar, acids, uh, rather than heat uh, because of the huge amount of uh, positive uh, electrons in an acid, uh, monkeying around with those, um, those molecules of protein. So, you know, my, my guess is most people don't know that of a body language expert that uh, molecular gastronomy is one of the areas I have some knowledge of as well. And I would argue that this takes it to the root of what you do because, you know, they say you are what you eat. So if you understand molecular gastronomy, then you have the ultimate foundation for understanding nonverbal communication. (laughs) Yeah, or, or a very boring dinner with me where I describe to you the exact reactions that are going on on the plate. And I will and tell you that when, when you and I had dinner in Toronto last time, it was anything but boring until 90 minutes after we sat down, the waiter came to the table and said, so are you guys going to order or what? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. We were chatting so much it was difficult to, to get any food in at all. Exactly. But it's always, always great to hang out with you and, uh, and, and forget to order. And that's something I look forward to doing often in the future. So we're talking about your latest book, Truth and Lies, which is a captivating title in and of itself. And and it talks about a lot of the different elements of nonverbal communication and what we can learn from it. So before we dive into the details of the book, what are the biggest mistakes that you see people make when it comes to body language that, that inspired you to write this book? Oh, well, listen, here's, here's the biggest mistake and the, and the biggest myth out there that I see people, uh, you know, falling into all the time. And you see it all over the Internet as well, the clickbait around body language that you see in the Internet. Here's the biggest trap there is believing that body language is a language because it's just not. 
It's not a language. It's nothing like a language. Uh, language is full of kind of if this, then that ideas that, you know, an A is an A and a B is a B and you put the letters together in a certain way and there's a, a, a common syntax to them and there's stuff like displacement, which means you can talk about the past or the future with a language or uh, a language is self-referential as well. It can talk about itself. Body language can't do that. Nonverbal communication is not a language. However, we all treat it like a language most of the time. We go out there and we try either consciously or unconsciously to read other people's body language when it's nothing like a book absolutely nothing and so therefore we make a lot of mistakes we do get some stuff right by the way we get some stuff very very right i mean the reason that you and i are alive is because sometimes we read body language very accurately but a lot of the time we're pretty inaccurate about it so biggest myth biggest mistake out there is the idea of even reading body language in the first place in one of the themes i got through the book is this notion that look it's not an if then it's not, oh, because they did this, it definitely means that. Instead, it may be one piece of information that, in the context of everything else, may be totally irrelevant. Absolutely. So you have to treat it as part of an intelligence system. You have to treat nonverbal communication as some of the information that you have in order to make a decision about how somebody around you might be thinking, feeling, and intending. It's some of the information. If you use it right, if you know how to use that information within the context of all the other information you may have or not have, then you can get closer to the truth of what somebody might be thinking or feeling or intending towards you and further away from some of the myths or the lies in your head about them or maybe some of the lies that are coming from them. What was the inspiration for you and Tracy to write this book? Because I know you've written several books on the general nonverbal communication and body language. So what is it and we talk about the truth plane, which is yours. What is it that inspired you to write this one? Well, as you know, the, the first books that I'd written were about how to deliver body language, how to be influence, influential and persuasive with your own body language. And that, for me, was something very, very different. There weren't any books about that. Most body language books were about how can I get an upper hand on you by being able to know what you're thinking and feeling? How can I stop you conning me, cheating me? And how might I be able to get, you know, one up on you? by knowing what you might be thinking or feeling. And so when I wrote, for example, Winning Body Language and Winning Body Language for Sales and Tame the Primitive Brain, they were really about how can you better know yourself through your own body language and better influence and persuade other people. So what happened was is that the, uh, the, the publishers, HarperCollins, came to me and said, by the way, we want a book on reading body language because there's a, there's a market for that. And I said to them uh, immediately, well, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that because there are plenty of good books out there. Reading body language isn't as helpful to people as they think it might be, mainly because you go about it the wrong way. It's actually quite difficult and complex and complicated. So it's not going to be helpful. And, and I thought kind of that was that. And then 
I had another think, Ian, and I thought, I really shouldn't have said no. What I should be thinking about is, what would a really excellent book on reading body language look like? And I thought to myself, well, really, the key to being able to get closer to the truth through understanding nonverbal behavior is critical thinking, is to be able to think better about body language, nonverbal communication, think better about the way other people are behaving and what and the context that that's in. So what I actually decided to write with Tracy Thompson is a book which is actually on critical thinking, on how to think better, and it's kind of disguised as a book on body language. So when we say truth and lies, what people are really thinking, it's often about how you're thinking about other people and the critical or non-critical way you're thinking that ultimately decides how close you get to the truth and lies of that. I hope that, that explains the, 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 uh, how this came about in. It does brilliantly. And in the book, you give this construct, this conceptual model, if you will, on how to how to think about things when you get in these situations where you do want to, quote, read somebody's mannerisms or body language or nonverbal communication so that you get a sense of what's going on. And by the way, I love the fact that you talk about it from a personal standpoint, talking about dating and those elements, as well as from a business context and how it'll help you in, in that setting, because obviously they're very different. But walk us through the this this contextual model that you built um, for critical thinking when it comes to body language. Yeah. So, so the contextual model is around critical thinking, as you say, and the acronym we're using is SCAN, S-C-A-N. The S part of it stands for suspend judgment. We need to understand that when we think we've read somebody, we've got that gut instinct that we're going, I know it. I know what they're thinking and feeling. I know what's going down here. Effectively, all we've done is we've got a judgment about them. And that judgment could be absolutely accurate, absolutely inaccurate, or something in between. But here's the important thing. It feels very real to us. It feels very true at the time. And we're most likely going to act on that judgment, which is fine if our judgment is completely accurate. It could be very embarrassing or um, cr critically bad. I mean, uh, you know, it could put your life in danger if you act on that judgment and your judgment was completely wrong. And we're probably going to forget every time we got the judgment kind kind of right and it, and it didn't really make much difference in our lives. So first of all, we have to suspend that judgment. And there, are, there are some ways to do that. Before we dive through the full acronym, give me some examples of where somebody would have that initial judgment and and it could be dangerous if you're if you if you got it wrong so you need to suspend judgment ah okay yeah absolutely um so let's take it let, let's make it really quite uh dangerous <laughs> let's make it really quite dangerous in that uh in imagine you are in uh a dark uh, car park, vehicle park, you know, right. underground vehicle park. And uh, you're carrying some heavy, heavy objects. Okay, you're carrying some heavy objects. And somebody comes up to you and um, they're smiling at you. They've got a great smile uh, on their 
face. Uh, you know enough about body language to be able to see that they have little wrinkles underneath their eyes as they're smiling. And it's a Duchenne smile. And that means, hey, it's, it's good now. It's fine now. Everything is, is fine. And that person says, hey, let me help you with those, those things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you say, no, no, it's, 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 it's okay. I'm, I'm okay. And they're a little more forceful. They've still got a really good smile on them, but they go, no, 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 no. Let me, let me help you. I really want to help you with those, those things. Okay. And, uh, and you say, no, no, it's, it's really, it's really okay. And they say, look, come on, come on, be, be nice. Be nice. I'm just trying to be helpful. And they've still got this smile on your face. And there's something about, your knowledge about body language, your judgment that says, actually, this is okay because they're giving me a true smile. But the reality about the situation is, is that you're on your own. It's dark. You're a little bit incapacitated because you're carrying stuff. This person keeps on being very, very insistent about helping you. And now they've used a social lever on you that says, come on, be nice. The idea of nice people are nice and you're not being nice. So if you suspend your judgment, which is actually they are okay because they have a Duchenne smile, you can start to bring in some other data there that might help you understand that, regardless of if they're a good person, a nice person, a helpful person or not, this is still not a good position for you. You don't have all the resources you need around you to protect yourself, like your limbs being free, uh, your, enough light in the place, uh, nobody else around you to help you. Does that make sense, Ian? Absolutely. So, so that's a situation where you might think everything's fine, and it turns out – and by the way, it may be, it may not be, but you only have one piece of information, and you might be thinking, well, they're smiling, so it's okay – and they might be smiling, thinking to themselves, oh, that's great. I'm going to steal this guy's stuff, and there's nothing he can do about it. <laughs> right. At the, if it's going to get bad, at the very best for you, they're going to steal, their, steal your stuff. Yeah. That's, that's a good outcome <laughs> <laughs> of this. And, and you're right. We don't, we don't know. We don't know just as if we'd have got a bad feeling from them. Equally so, our instinct isn't necessarily going to be Right. So my instinct is, okay, this feels bad. Now, do I suspend my judgment in that situation or not? Actually, within that context, and we'll come on to the context at the moment, if you're in a place whereby you don't have resources to protect yourself, if you feel bad, you never suspend your judgment. But everywhere else, you can suspend judgment. And actually, the important thing is, is we don't do it enough. Yeah. We don't suspend judgment uh, enough. We, we, mo you know, most of us in a, in a first world environment, uh, we're pretty safe. Okay, so we could suspend judgment a lot more. We actually don't. We tend to make judgments, make them very, very, very true for ourselves and then behave accordingly. And I'm guessing in many cases we project our own values. So that's why so often in business people agree to something and then the other party doesn't deliver. Let's say someone says, oh, we're going to have Mark speak, and they say, oh, I know we're supposed to pay you by this date, but, you know, something got messed up in accounting. I hope you can still come. And you say, well, you know, they're, they're decent people. You know, I would never do this to somebody. You show up, and next thing you know, you're not getting paid. 
And we realize that we've projected our own values on somebody else who may not share those values. Absolutely. So, look, let's go on to the second part of this this um, right. this structure, this critical thinking structure, which is to add context. So you see some body language, you see some behavior, you see some nonverbal communication. You get a judgment about it. Could be a negative judgment, a positive judgment, something in between. You need to get rid of that judgment for a moment. You just put it to one side. You can come back to it. You can always come back to your judgment. But But first of all, you go, okay. What else is going on here? So, so you, you bring in the context, which is what one of the contexts could be is what value system does this person work within, do I think? What's, their, what's the group that they're part of? What's their culture? What, what, what gangs, group, companies do they hang out with? So I might be doing business with somebody. I might see some behavior that alerts me or calms me down and comforts me. But first of all, I suspend my judgment about that. And I go, what is the group that this person comes from? Uh, what's the group I'm talking to? And and, and you know, what, what do I know about their values, their beliefs, uh, the way they operate, the way they function? That might be different from me, might be the same for me, might be running the behavior that I'm seeing that's either good or bad. So, so the value system, the cultural system is one of the contexts that you can bring in to reading people's behavior. Great. And, and then so now we've got suspend your judgment, add context to this. And then the A is ask what else? Yeah. So that moment of, and this is really key to Socratic thinking or critical thinking is, you need to just take a bit of time to bring in some more data from somewhere else. And and that might be about asking an expert or asking somebody who isn't expert or getting some more data that you think is maybe nothing to do with this or something to do with this. You need to bring in some other points of data. Otherwise, you're working with too thin a bandwidth of data to really make any kind of new judgment. So it, so in today's modern age, there's, there's so many places you can go for more information. Or you can just turn to the person next to you and go, hey, what, what do you think of the, the behavior that I'm seeing here? Or if, if you saw somebody doing, doing this, what would you be thinking about it? Just ask a friend, ask a neighbor, ask a ask a parent, ask a colleague, ask ask your boss, ask somebody who works for you. Get on the internet, read a book, uh, have a, have a have another guess. Even asking what else is going. Um, what if I were to guess something completely different about this? Uh, make up an idea. That's a good ask what else piece of critical thinking is let me imagine something that i think it couldn't possibly be even by imagining something that it couldn't possibly be might just spring up in your mind something that it might just be so it's just taking this this moment this extra few seconds just to bring in another point of data to get a rounder idea about what may or may not be happening in forming that new judgment out of it is is this a matter of now you've taken all these pieces what's your new conclusion right what's your new conclusion or do you want to go back to your old conclusion yeah as i said when you suspend judgment it means it's suspended you can just pull it down again and go you know what i've really thought about this or i've thought a little more about it or i quickly thought again about this and you know what 
uh, it's I've come up to the same thing. I'm I'm in danger here, or this is totally fine, or yeah, I think that person is definitely you know on for a relationship with me, or you know what, I think I definitely have got this job, or I definitely have this contract. You know, I can now push ahead with this. This is I've definitely got a buyer here. But you've maybe taken a few more moments to go. That was my first assumption. It felt really strong for me. Can I just go through this process of suspending that, bringing in some more context, asking what else, and now making a new judgment or going back to the old judgment? And then what's important, Ian, is, is there a way to test it? Can I test quickly and simply, am I closer to the truth here? Or is my judgment, initial judgment, was that close to the truth? Rather than still being in this sense of believing you know the truth, rather than knowing a little bit further that you know the truth. And Mark, the the book is filled with great examples and stories, but can you share an example that kind of helps our audience see how you can use this this construct of scan in a situation? It could be a personal situation, could be a business situation, but I want to make sure that the audience kind of gets a sense of, okay, here's how this would play out in the real world. Lovely. So let me put it in a business context uh, for you, okay? And and I think you've probably been there. I've certainly been there, and lots of people listening will have will have been there. Uh, which is, you go to some kind of you know work interview. You know whether it's you're getting uh, you're CEO of a company and you're there in front of the board you want to be part of, and you know uh, it, it's an interview for joining the board, or whether it's one of the first ever interviews that you've ever been for. Uh, maybe if you if you don't do a lot of that, put it in the context of your you're pitching for a, for a sale of some sort, but sure. you're doing it, yeah. And afterwards you have this overwhelming feeling of, I aced that interview. Yeah, your prediction, your assumption is, because of all the behavior you saw, which was, which was there was a lot of energy in the room, people were very focused on you, they were nodding their heads, they were smiling, when you laughed, they laughed, when they laughed, you laughed. There seemed to be a really positive, high-energy connection. You leave that room, you know, almost high as a kite on the idea of, I aced that interview, and then you wait a day. And you wait a day, and you wait another day, and they're not calling. There's no emails. They're not calling. And you think, well, I aced the interview. Where is my job? Where is it? Come on. Where is it? Okay? Now, here's the thing is if you suspend judgment – on this for a moment because the initial judgment was which has come from all the energy all the smiling all the what we call rapport all the mirroring yeah and the positivity positivity around it just suspend that and put that to one side and now let's put it in that cultural you know tribal group context and just think is this were you in an organization that ultimately behaves in a very positive way It wouldn't matter whether you were right for the job or not right for the job or perfect or not perfect. When you walk into their organization 
they are going to give you a great experience of them and their organization. In fact, it might be part of their cultural process. It might be written down. It may be an instruction. When any, anybody comes into this organization, yeah, when they have an interview here, whether it's for the board or whether it's for a job or whether they're trying to even sell to you, you are going to give them a great positive experience of our culture, of our organization, because ultimately they will tell stories about that. And understand, you probably have. You probably went straight to your friends and you went, I had a great interview at Company X. It was, it was fantastic. They're brilliant, brilliant people. And, and I think they love me and I'd love to work there. You are now a walking advert for them. Yeah. And they wanted that. So in cultural context, you can now go, okay, maybe it's the culture for them to make me feel good. Now, in the ask what else, then you can start to bring in other other data. So maybe I know somebody at that organization and I can go, hey, you know, I, I came in for an interview and it was fantastic and there's no call. Um, you know, what are people like in terms of their behavior around getting back to you? Uh, are there long timelines on that kind of thing? What are people like at that organization around their behavior, around making you feel very, very welcome? What are people like in that organization about ever showing you that something is, is wrong? Is there ever such a thing as a problem in this organization? Or is, is, is everything an advantage, everything an opportunity? So you might be able to get some intelligence, some new intelligence by asking, you know, what else do other people know about this or, or a whole bunch of other areas you could go around that. And so the new assumption may well be, hey, you know, maybe I am great, maybe I'm right, but maybe I'm not exactly the right fit for this organization. But this organization is designed to make me feel good. Now, how do I test that? Ultimately, I have to give them a call whether I'm selling to them or whether I'm in an interview situation and go, uh, hey, guys, I just want some feedback on yeah. this. And the difficulty around that is, is they may give you some feedback that says, um, yeah, it's, it, it may be disappointing, but you're not right uh, for this. Um, and, and that's why we haven't called you back. Well, they may give you some feedback that says you will see some behavior from us in the next week that will tell you that you're in or you're out. But, but you expected behavior too quickly in terms of making a decision here. Yeah. Does, that, does that more make sense? No, you? you know, it makes perfect sense. And it, it shows how this, this scan construct really works. I, you know, I often say to people that in the sales world, effective selling is not about persuasion or coercion. It's about getting to the truth as quickly as possible. And oftentimes what happens is a sales rep, for example, will go out and meet with a client or prospect. The meeting goes great because they, they clicked. They had a great conversation. The, the meeting went longer than they expected. All these things that have nothing to do with whether or not it's a good business fit. It just means that socially everybody got along. So if you had connected on Match.com, that would be a great way to evaluate the meeting. But it's that objective part of thinking about it saying, well, so why wouldn't this be a fit? And why wouldn't this go to the next level? Then we start to get a better context of where we should go from there. And I think that that's something that's – I mean what I love in this book is that 
in truth and lies, you're giving people a way to evaluate at a critical level body language and not saying, oh, someone crossed their arms, so they don't like what you're saying. Oh, by the way, option B, or they're a little bit cold. Or option C, this is somebody who their personality is such that when they're intently listening, they cross their arms. But if I just picked one, I'm probably going to be wrong, but now you're giving people this context of, in this model of scan so they can actually be a little bit more critical when they're trying to evaluate body language in a way that can actually help them rather than just confuse them. Absolutely. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. because, And I think that's why it's interesting, I think, for many of your listeners today, is that they'll have experienced when they've made judgments that are right or wrong, and it's been really beneficial for them, or wrong when it's, it's gone really badly. And if they had that, just a little scheme whereby they can quickly rethink things, they might well get a strong enough advantage. And it, it, you're right, it's very easy to sit there and go, yeah, they've crossed their arms, so... So I know that they're closed right now when the reality is it's about one of about 32 reasons why somebody might close their arms. So actually, you're in a one in 30 out of 32 gamble. Most people don't know the, the 32 or more reasons why somebody will cross their arms. So actually, they're in a gamble of, of one or the other thing. They think they've got a 50-50 chance, where actually they've got, they've got way, way less than that. They're gambling uh, around their decision-making process when there is an opportunity to think more carefully about it. And understanding, as you well know, there's there's all the usual really great stuff in this book about, look, here's what you uh, some of the indicators may, may be. You know, crossed arms, we go on at length around yeah. crossed arms and all the different things, eye contact, pupil dilation, smiles, frowns, disdain, disgust. But the thing is, is that it isn't an if this, then that situation. You know, if if disgust, then disgusted at you. We just yep. tend to make it about ourselves. The context is we tend to make other people's behavior about us rather than themselves or other people, just simply bringing in that context, the context that I am most likely to make their behavior about me. As soon as you know that context, you freed up a whole bunch of other opportunities out there that may give you an advantage. That's brilliant, Mark. It's, it's reflective of people suffering from what I like to call axis displacement disorder. And, and, of course, given your extensive background, you undoubtedly know the axis displacement disorder is when the human being believes the axis of the earth has shifted. It now goes through their head, out their rear, and the world revolves around them. So I, th I, think, I think that you're giving people a way to objectively evaluate situations so they can be better informed than they were in the past. And my belief is that a lot of organizations are going to have this as kind of a blueprint that says, look – Everyone on our team needs to read this book. Everyone needs to have this so that we're better in context with our customers, with each other than maybe we've been in the past. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Remember, this is a book about critical thinking. This is a book about making great decisions hidden in a book about body language. So you'll get to read a really great body language book. And if you love the idea of human behavior and how to really understand what people are thinking, if you really love that idea, you're going to get a lot of joy from this book. But secretly underneath that, 
what you're really going to learn to understand is how you're really thinking, how you're making the decisions that you make and how to make some of those decisions a lot, a lot better, how to do better thinking and more accurate judgments of the world around you. I, I can't see any downside to that. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant stuff. So, Mark, what's the best way for people to I, – I mean, we'll, we'll have links to the to where people can get the book in the show notes. What's the best way for them to get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, sure. So go to www.truthplane.com, T-R-U-T-H-P-L-A-N-E, truthplane.com. Lots of video there for you to watch of me speaking, lots of training there to be had. All the books are there, so you can look around that and see what books you're interested in. Uh, truthplane.com, best place to go. Excellent. So, Mark, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom. I always end up taking a ton of notes and learning a great deal from you. So uh, I, I look forward to us digging into the um, molecular gastronomy at an upcoming <laughs> meal, my friend. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it as well. I've always been a, a, an, an avid uh, same-side seller, so uh, I'm, I'm always on your side around that. Excellent. All right, my friend. Be well. Thanks. And you. Man, Mark always has such great information. Run out and get your copy of Truth and Lies. It's really a fascinating book that helps you decode different things that you do and different things that you can pick up from other people's body language. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key information I think you can use and apply in your business right away. First, reading other people's body language, I love how Mark says, it's not a language. It's, it's really just one element. And so tying in... Mark's idea of critical thinking is essential. So first, suspend your judgment, then set and add context, ask what else could be going on, and then form a new judgment. And that model of scan gives you a framework to better understand body language when you see it. Remember, this show gets direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you think I should be talking about, if there's a guest you think I should have on the program, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer.